0: Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Professor Amra Sabik El-Reyes, who was a Muslim teenager at the time of the ethnic cleansing in Bosnia in the early 1990s. Her memoir, The Cat I Never Named, has a strong and relevant message for us today. Professor Samra Sabik El-Reyes, good morning. Thank you ever so greatly for being with us this morning.
1: Thank you so much, Kate, for having me.
0: I feel that in having you join us this morning, you are a gift to us. And this book, The Cat I Never Named, is an important and great gift for us as well. So thank you both for being here and for writing this incredible book.
1: Thank you so much. That is very kind of you. This book has been in making for a long time. The story has been in me and... Uh, with me for most of my life. And I'm glad that I finally sat down and wrote it and that it is out at this particular moment in American history.
0: Well, the timing really couldn't be more perfect. So in your writing it, yes, it's a memoir. So it is your life. You've been living with this. It starts in your teens at, at about age 16, correct?
1: That's correct. I was 16 when uh, the genocide in Bosnia started. It was committed by Serbian army and Serb army. Uh, They were the dominant ethnic group politically uh, in terms of controlling military and the economy prior to the war in former Yugoslavia. And at some point, they decided that they wanted to kill everyone who was non-Serb. And The fact that I was a Bosnian Muslim uh, meant that I became a target overnight at the age of 16 and, as a consequence, suffered through uh, genocide for nearly four years. I lived under the military siege uh, without access to electricity, food, uh, without normal schooling, which most parents and children and teens can relate to how difficult that is in my case schools were particularly targeted um, so that they could be blown up and destroyed along with all of the children. So my life became a nightmare, really, um, overnight.
0: And we read this, we experience it. But tangent to that, I was reflecting how I knew this was going on. This was actual history back in the 90s but it was a news story. I mean I, when I thought about it it was just so overwhelmingly emotional to think that oh well it's happening over there yes it's it's happening and and it means it really isn't affecting me and it was it's really painful to think of how how easy it was to just turn a switch turn that off it's not it's not me but then i saw how really there was that layer of how this is us right now. It was really an incredible juxtaposition. Was that your feeling perhaps in writing the book that there was quite a parallel going on? Um,
1: Yes, that's exactly one of the reasons why I decided to write the story a couple of years ago. uh, My younger daughter, who was only in third grade at the time, came home from school and asked me, she said, Mom, what will happen to Jana, her older sister, and me if you and dad are rounded up or taken away as muslims or immigrants and that was really the question that prompted um, this story it made me realize that as a genocide survivor i um, had many lessons to offer through my lived experience and that in a way i was abdicating my responsibility um, as a survivor to speak out against hate and warn America and Americans where we could um, end up if we opt for hate. I, of course, couldn't have predicted two years ago when I started writing the story that this is where we would be, that we would experience hatred and racism and social unrest in such a powerful and emotional way right now. Nor did I expect that pandemic would happen and that many feelings and experiences I had um, in terms of isolation from others would also be the parallels to what uh, individuals are experiencing today. So in a way, it was, as you said, the perfect timing for this story to come out um, and to serve as a universal warning against hate, but also a serve, I hope, as an inspiration to all Americans, teens and adults who read it to do something um, that is within their individual power to prevent um, these circumstances from getting worse, which is a possibility at this time.
0: I feel, and I would expect others would feel that too, that there is, we're in such a fragile state. It probably has always been somewhat like that. But I think that if we really pay attention, we see that that's the case. And with reading your book, as I say, I felt that connection of how it's such a parallel. And here it's written as as YA, as a youth genre book, but really any age, adults can easily read it and, and really be gripped by it because of your writing. But I think with it coming out as a youth genre and, you know, with the school year essentially just starting, that it is so rich for really use throughout the year in so many ways for students to really grapple with this and have important conversations.
1: Um, I agree with you. Um, I think those are all excellent points. And particularly, um, I would say that I felt it was Important to write for the y a audience for several reasons, one of them uh, was simply the fact that I was sixteen when the war was starting, and I wanted young adults who are struggling with various experiences in the United States today and around the world to um, see that link in relationship between who I was back then and then what happened to me. I was a uh, a normal teen. I was a volleyball player. I was a complete math and physics nerd. I was about to fall in love with a boy. And um, then overnight, I was starving, escaping death. I was being persecuted. I came close to being killed several times. I come close to being raped. And it seemed that I was never expecting to for that to happen and be my reality. And I think uh, you mentioned that earlier in one of your comments, at times, we think that hatred happens elsewhere, that violence and wars happen in distant places in at uh, different times. And this story really serves as a reminder that hatred is not exclusive to any one person, any one nation, any one region. We are all capable of it. And hatred is incredibly blinding and um, inspires people to do horrific things. And this book is a reminder that that is where we could end up um, if things don't change in the United States and around the world, really.
0: And that's such an important point of mentioning the hatred and how you really discuss it, share it in the context of this book, The Cat I Never Named, and how it would be easy, and we see how hatred takes over, but your parents were incredible in their role modeling, and you really learned from that, to, to not let hatred be your model.
1: That's correct. Um, I, I would say that there was a moment, and, and readers will recognize that moment in the book, when in the midst of all of the destruction and hate and killing, something beautiful happens to me. And there are, there are incredibly beautiful aspects to this story, including our family bond and the strength of our family relationships that helped me survive through the worst time. But there is a moment where I change in the midst of genocide, really, when I realized it, and perhaps that's a lesson for all of us today, um, that sometimes we can't control external forces, um, those that are external to us. Uh, we can't stop pandemic right now. We can't stop uh, social unrest. And I couldn't stop genocide. And I certainly couldn't convince someone who viscerally hated me and wanted to kill me and put me into a rape camp to not do that. But what I could affect and change was the way I responded to that kind of hatred. And I decided that the best response was to be a better version of myself and not for someone else to accept me, to love me, to stop hating me, but to be the best human being I can be. And that is what I learned from my parents, and that is a decision I made in the midst of the war. And at that point in the story, I began to teach myself English um, on my own from um, an old dictionary that my father had in the attic from his college days. I decide to work with immunizing children in my besieged city, going to the front lines and risking my life in order to make life, um, even for a short period of time, better for those kids that I impacted. I become a teacher. There were many teachers who were killed and injured during the war, so even though I was only a teen, I was asked to teach, and so I walked into a classroom as a teacher for the first time now more than 25 years ago. And I'm still a teacher at Columbia, in a, obviously in a different time and with a different uh, group of students. But that was the first moment when I realized that I could self-empower by changing my own life. And I think that's one of the important messages for young adults and adults who will be reading this story, that even in the midst of complete destruction and the most horrific crime that Europe has seen since World War II, I was able to empower myself. And I'll share with you one detail. Um, There was a moment when my father thought that uh, we would all be killed. The Serb military was approaching my neighborhood. We were watching them burn down uh, villages and homes across the river, across my neighborhood, um, coming down a hill and just burning the forest and the homes. And my father turned to me and had a conversation that, probably no father ever wants to have with a 16-year-old daughter. And he said, Amra, I'm sorry, but I may not be able to protect you and save you anymore. We may all be killed, but if you do survive, there's one thing that no one can ever take away from you, and that is your education.
0: And that is so powerful and really is so meaningful to us at this time as we are in such a different time with this pandemic, with a lot of students in remote learning situations, and realizing, hearing you say this, your father having said this to you, knowing that our education is so critical, and we have that kind of control. It's, it maybe is difficult having to do classes virtually, but still to know that in the end, that is what really counts: is that education.
1: That's absolutely correct. If I, if I hadn't learned English on my own during the war, I wouldn't be here. Um, if I um, didn't um, uh, master every mathematics and, and physics textbook that I could find, then just to to um, uh, to explain a bit of a context, I didn't have access to online learning. No one did at that time. Um, there was no electricity, so I didn't even have ability to see things and we had um, uh, uh, our windows protected from the bombs so we were always sort of living in the darkest and dark darkness literally um, so the the learning process back then uh, was much more challenging. Um, um, comparatively than what we're experiencing in this pandemic and even when it started I have two um, teen daughters who are amazing um, young women and I said to them look at the glass half full what is it that you can do um, to improve your learning on your own in the absence of having um, real interaction with your peers and teachers and just as an example my older daughter uh, who is in high school, she loves robotics and engineering. So she started designing her um, uh, uh, different robots in in 3D. So she mastered computer uh, sort of 3D design and um, also virtually helped um, teach her friends who wanted to get into robotics during this pandemic. And my younger daughter has been doing a lot of um, a research in terms of science all sorts of animals that she's interested in and writing about it um, applying that to um, improving her writing skills so I do think and 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 believe firmly that controlling what is within our reach what is in our power and based on my experience of um, improving my own learning in the midst of genocide. I always believe that there is something we can do. But I also think beyond that, we can think about ways to become better neighbors, better colleagues, better family members, better teachers, better students um, at this time. And I think if we collectively do that, uh, work on self-improvement and our own resilience, I think we can become a better nation, which is certainly something that's difficult for many to to imagine at this moment of divisiveness, but I think we can get there. I believe in that kind of America.
0: And it's in sharing stories, and particularly one as uh, challenging and you know life-threatening, living through a genocide and, and surviving that as remarkably as you have, Amra, is something that you know in reading this bolsters us feeling that, boy, in those hardships, those hard times you can muster through, then surely, you know, uh, through a pandemic where we need to stay distanced from each other or wear a mask, surely w- we can manage to to work through this too.
1: I um, I agree with you. I would say I certainly in the book share some of the moments of really even deepest um, deepest depression um, that I experienced during the war, being a teen and, and living under those circumstances, uh, but finding a way to build your own resilience. And sometimes it is related to those individuals around us, but at times it is also reading stories that are empowering. And that is what I hope the cat I never named does. Just to give you an example of of the kinds of feedback I have been receiving that I think uh, confirm that um, it was the right decision for me to write this story, even though it was not easy to do that um, uh, yesterday, I received a an email from a an American soldier um, not uh, that that um, I never uh, met and never knew um, before who sent me a, a very emotional message and Um, He said that he served in Bosnia, but he was also deployed around the world and that he he read my book and uh, that he never cried as much as he did in reading any book ever before um, and that he felt compelled to write to me and share with me that he only wished that as an American soldier he was exposed to this kind of reading before he was sent um, to um, serve in Bosnia and around the world. And um, I think building that kind of collective empathy through storytelling and um, helping each other to sort of weather through this difficult time through inspiring stories is crucial and is important. And I recognized it the very first time when I was a teacher, as I mentioned earlier, in the midst of the war, because every time I would share a story that was moving um, and Um, emotional and connected to the lived experiences of my students, my students were better people and they were better students. And I would say that is exactly the same um, experience I have now with my students at Columbia. They're always uh, more inspired when they hear a powerful example or powerful story of resilience.
0: Absolutely. We're encouraged, I think, we're bolstered to move forward. And and that thank you for sharing about this the uh, the perhaps former military person soldier saying that this would have been helpful. We see another avenue uh, of how these stories are so critical. we we're, We don't live in isolated little boxes. We are really connected. And then we realize how we are so much more the same, really, when you get down to it, when you get to our core.
1: That's correct. Um, and I will share with you another powerful moment um, that is um, in the book, um, but really has defined in in part who I am uh, today. When I was um, for the first time entering the United States um, and I was standing in the immigration line, at that time I was 20. So the war and genocide started uh, when I was 16 and sort of the most beautiful years of my life passed um, during that time. And at 20, uh, standing in the immigration line, I was a scared young woman. I was broken. I was traumatized. I had only a few dollars in my pocket um, and my broken English. And I remember um, getting to the counter of the immigration officer who was going to interview me and being scared. And I was sweating and nervous, shaking and Um, almost passed out, Um, and after a long time of him examining my documents and my passport, he reached out and handed me back my uh, documentation, and he said, Ma'am, welcome to the United States of America. You are safe now, and I'm sorry for what happened to you. And that was the moment when that stranger, whose name I don't know, um, changed me. Um, he revived my belief in our shared humanity and uh, that is the kind of America that I got to know the very first day that I entered it
0: and and I actually I saw some of your videos online your your speeches your your talks and uh, I heard that and and it made me me tear up because I it, there's that contrast where that that's what we expect that the that uh, we are saved by coming to this border from a war torn land, and yet I think you you say yourself in your in your talk how you know leap forward about twenty years from that and and what was happening to those immigrants who were coming to the border and were left stranded.
1: Um. E- e- I think what often happens is that when individuals imagine someone like me surviving genocide or imagine someone going through that kind of horrific experience, we're always imagined in our worst moments, right? In our moments when we're hoping to simply survive. And those are not the easy moments to, for even for me to imagine uh, and think about. Uh, But I would hope that, um, everyone out there who is reading this book, by the end of the book, would think about where I am um, as a representation of someone who immigrated into this country with nothing, really, um, where I am today, and the work that I do today, not only as a professor at Columbia University, but also as a parent to two American uh, children who are uh, absolutely marvelous in terms of Things that they are accomplishing, and I think co- will continue to accomplish because they know my story, um, uh, my stories are the stories I've told them throughout um, their entire lives, um, and always reminded them that they need to be the best people that they can be, and that is what they're working hard on um, and I think uh, many many of uh, many of us who have come, I know that uh, for certain from Bosnia are making a difference in the world today. Many of my uh, high school friends are now doctors in uh, New York City hospitals um, who were um, treating patients uh, with COVID-19 as the crisis began first in the United States. And so I would hope that those are the images that I bring back to life or to life for the first time uh, for many who read The Cat I Never Named.
0: And in terms of your teaching and thinking back to the time uh, of uh, of the war, there was a, a a young student that you had at that time who now also lives in the United States and and has uh, contacted you because of your having taught him and helped him then. That's
1: correct. And um, sometimes we we are helped by strangers in unexpected ways. Um, as an example, the, my story of being at the border in the United States for the first time, and a stranger who saved my belief in humanity, really. Um, and then people that um, I may have touched with the stories I have shared or uh, with teaching I've done during the war that now come back to me and say, or something you did or the way you treated me um, and appreciated my story or uh, taught me a lesson is what influenced my life. And um, I'm grateful for being. Being, continuing to be a teacher and being professor now to many educators around the world. Many of my students are American teachers and administrators and, and school leaders, and many are uh, working abroad. And um, they will often reach out to me and say, Amr, something that you share, the story a moment in the class continues to guide the way that I work. And to me, that is the uh, hope or the legacy that I would like to build and be remembered by um, um, as, in, as a first-generation immigrant and as an American.
0: And what I feel so um, what excited about, happy about, is the, the fact that there's this... Um, A display of how you have overcome such adversity and are, you know, making yourself an important instrument of change in our world, such an important role model, contrasted with how when you were in high school and you had a teacher who just resented the fact that you were so bright, so smart, and said, uh, you know, kind of dismissed the kind of future you would have. But here you are, a shining star.
1: Thank you. That is very kind. That's making me blush. Um, but, um, yes, I, uh, for this specific reason um, that I believe in education and believe in the power of a teacher um, uh, and a teacher who can really shape uh, a young individual's future, um, uh, that is one of the reasons why I thought that The Cat I Never Named was an important book uh, to enter the classroom discussions in the United States, because as a Bosnian Muslim girl, I was discriminated against, even though I was uh, one of the top students um, in um, in my class in my school, and and later in my country in terms of math and physics. Um, but they were stu- there were teachers who um, certainly discriminated against me because of my background, and in fact. Um, Initially, when I was thinking about writing this book, uh, uh, when I had that conversation with my daughter who was afraid um, about what will happen to America, um, I uh, realized uh, very early on in the writing process that in addition to that process being painful because I had to go back and think uh, um, uh, vividly about certain traumatic events, at the same time it was incredibly empowering because I was bringing to life for the first time, a Bosnian Muslim story. Um, And for me, this book is not just a book. It's not just a memoir. It was a voice, and it is a voice that I never had growing up as a Muslim girl. For instance, I never read a story, um, a book in my entire educational experience in former Yugoslavia that had a Muslim girl or Muslim name in it um, as a main character. Um, I loved math and physics, and I never solved a math problem with a Muslim girl's name in it. And I was deeply aware of that at the time. So writing this story and being able to put out the story that uh, will bring me closer to uh, people who have never met someone who uh, perhaps had these experiences was really empowering. And... Um, helped me remember um, who I was then, um, who I have become because of the hardships I have gone through. But perhaps most importantly, it also reminded me who I will never be again, and that is a voiceless, silent, and invisible Muslim girl.
0: Which is so beautiful. And we trust encouragement then for others, to, to read, to be inspired, and to act on that in, in their own way. And as I say, with the school year really at the beginning, but, but this is for any time and all time, but right now it's a great way. The book is new. Everyone needs to have their own copy and really immerse ourselves in it. So contact your local bookstore and get that. We can also find it online and we can see it through your website. Let's mention that.
1: Uh, yes, of course. Uh, my website is my full last name, which I know is, is long and <laughs> not easy, but it's org. And I think um, also those who are interested in connecting with me, I, I welcome um, their feedback and hearing from them um, on social media. I have to admit, I was not really Um, avid user of social media before this pandemic, but I have learned that that's the way to communicate now. So they can find me on Twitter at Amra Sabic PhD. They can also find me on Facebook or Instagram at Amra Sabic L. Reyes, which is my full first and last name. Or they can simply Google the cat I never named and they will find their way to me. And I would also mention that one of the most inspiring things for me has been really reading from an average reader and having them share their emotional experience of reading this book. And a very frequent comment that I get is from someone who says, I never really knew anything about Bosnia, but I liked the cover, or a friend recommended it, or at this point the book has incredible five-star reviews from book critics, and they may have come across one of those And they said, I decided to pick it up, and I thought I would read a couple of pages before dinner, and here I am, it's 3 a.m., and I can't put it down, and I felt compelled to write to you to let you know how I feel about this book. And to me, all those messages bring tears to my eyes, because I made myself vulnerable by sharing this story, um, and it was not easy, so hearing that this is an emotional experience and powerful experience for anyone who reads it is extremely appreciated uh, from my end as the author. So I welcome anyone to reach out to me about the book.
0: Thank you for that offer. And again, thank you for the gift of this book and for spending this time with us this morning to share more about it.
1: Thank you very much, Kate. It was a pleasure, and I hope we'll have many more conversations with uh, other books that will come in the future.
0: That sounds perfect. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Professor Amra Sapik El-Reyes and Sunday Morning Magazine with Richard Bell. find the podcast. It's on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of savoring each moment, savoring life, and sharing all that is good. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.